0: Ten years ago to the day, as we record this, it was November first, two thousand eight. We're recording this on November first, twenty eighteen. I was with a few friends. I'm going to name them: Michael, Ian, and Matthew. We were at the Youth Specialties Conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my life totally changed. I felt called to leave my then position as youth pastor, high school pastor at church, and to start what is now known as Never the Same. Then a year to the day later on November 1st 2009 never the same was birthed as a youth ministry organization here we are nine years later on our anniversary and in that time stepping out of local church youth ministry after around 20 years or so about a year ago in the fall of 2017 I jumped back into in a limited role a local church youth pastor role once again at the church that I left 10 years ago and What I've seen that's changed in nine years is pretty incredible to me. It's kind of like being around kids every day, maybe your own kids or others. If you see children every day growing up, you don't notice the changes until you may not see them for a while, especially years at a time. And what I notice is, even though I've been involved in youth ministry steady on. In the last year, I've been involved and immersed in a local church youth ministry, and I hadn't done that for nine years. So what we're going to talk about today, Jason and myself, we're going to talk about nine seismic movements that have happened in youth
1: ministry since 2009. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Here we are. On the anniversary of our organization that we work at, Jason, happy anniversary. Thank you. Um, It's not my anniversary because my hire date was not November 1st. Oh, it
0: wasn't? Okay, that was mine. November 1st, 2009 is when we started. Here we are. So we're celebrating a little bit today. It's our nine-year anniversary. We're talking about nine seismic movements in youth ministry in the last...
1: Nine years. Nine years. That's a lot of nines. It is. And we're going to go through them all today in this episode. If you are checking us out for the very first time, we want to direct your attention to neverthesame.org slash podcast. There you will find a free gift from us called Adolescence in the Church Trend Report, where you will find a lot of the research that we have done over the years, all compiled together in a beautiful packet that you will be able to find what we discuss on a regular basis here on the Thought Factory.
0: I was calculating the other day the number of years that I've been in student ministry And I'm coming up on 30. I can't believe that, but it's true. What we're learning in that trend report, to me, I'm always interested and fascinated by what students are believing and thinking. A lot of the content for this podcast, we pull from that trend report, from the research that we're doing with students all over the country. So I highly encourage you to check that out if you are interested in things students are thinking and believing and how that compares and contrasts with what we as adults think that students are believing. So thanks for pointing that out, Jason. As always, yeah, we want to thank you for joining with us, and we want to make sure, if you haven't, that you go back and check out our last episode where we talked about the good, the bad, the ugly about small group leaders.
1: The importance of small group leadership. So we have broken it down into some non-negotiables, negotiables, traits that you're looking for, traits that you should avoid. So it might help you. I hope it would help you.
0: Absolutely. And next episode, we're going to be talking about students walking away from their faith in the church. And that's going to be an interesting interview that we're going to do with someone from the Fuller Youth Institute. We'll be talking with them and hearing about what are some of the trends with that as well. So make sure you join us for the next episode. If you haven't, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you're always getting the updates when the new episodes are coming out.
1: Let's get into the episode. Let's do it. For today's episode, you have compiled nine seismic changes that have occurred that you have observed in the last nine years in youth ministry, and you've compiled a list of things that you've seen change over the course of that period of time, and so we're just going to present them but discuss them briefly as we go along, and I think that's important for our audience to know of what has happened in about a decade of youth ministry.
0: I'm interested how this will be received by people just jumping into youth ministry, maybe within the last few years, if you're on the, the beginning end, especially if you're of a younger age, maybe right out of high school, maybe coming into youth ministry as a volunteer or a youth worker, I'll be curious what you think of these because you may not know any different than what currently we are right now. But I, I compiled this list. This isn't scientific. This isn't research. This is just purely my observation, Jason and I are going to be talking about it. I do think that as we think about these particular issues, it was good for me to sit back and kind of force myself to go, okay, I've been involved in youth ministry on a continual basis, but this last year specifically to go from like a youth ministry organizational perspective and to go back into a local church youth ministry and lead it, but also be a small group leader and also do something i would never done, and that's be a small group leader for junior high guys— that was a new adventure for me that I'm still in the middle of. But I think that those things that I've seen, it's just, again, like growing up with a child. When you see them every day, you know they're changing, but you don't see it maybe till you look at a picture. And if you think about the difference between a child that's like 4 years old and 13 years old, you know what happens in those 9 years? So things have really changed in 9 years, and I'm excited to get into this list. So we'll start with number 1. And number one is connection has created isolation. So all of us remember in 2007 when the iPhone came out. And to me, that was like going from horse and buggy to air travel. It was a game changer when you got a smartphone with all the abilities that you had access to, all the technology, the information right in your pocket at all times. That changed the game. Now, for me, I left local church youth ministry in 2009 and Jason, I don't know uh, what you remember about those days, but in 2009, a lot of students didn't have smartphones. In fact, in 2009, if you were a student and you had a smartphone, you're probably a pretty rich kid because hardly anyone had those. They still had the flip phones.
1: Right. I do remember right around that time that we would even debate, like, how much do you leverage social media or using the phones in programmatic stuff? And you're like, no one's really got phones. It was a very small percentage that did.
0: And speaking of social media, those were the birthing years. In that era of Twitter, of Facebook, Instagram was still a long ways away. Right, And it's funny to think, I mean, nine years ago, none of those things really were prevalent in youth ministry. And now it's obviously very common. It's a fabric.
1: Exactly. The fabric of youth ministry. You integrate it so much, the social media, the promotion, how you promote your events and gatherings. It's all through social media.
0: So in this era of connection... What I've seen as a result is isolation. I think that technology has isolated us more. So, for example, Jason, you're talking about promotion in youth ministry, and we wouldn't even dare dream of promoting in youth ministry today without using social media in some form. However, what i found is a lot of younger leaders, especially— I'm going to pick on them for a minute— but a lot of younger leaders that have grown up in that era, they rely on that almost solely, a lot of them that I know, and saying, well, I promoted it to my students. I put it out on Instagram. I put it out on Twitter. I put it out on whatever feeds that students are using. They're still not hearing about. They're still not coming or it's not connecting. And I go back and say, it doesn't matter to me what era we're in. Nothing will ever will ever beat face-to-face, one-on-one, personal interaction and invitation. I think that is absolutely still important.
1: And there's this almost sense of they're baffled that, The social media promotion is not really connecting or working as much as they thought. But then they go, well, how else am I going to promote? And ignore the fact that there's still the need for face-to-face interaction, still a need to meet them where they're at. And not necessarily just for the purpose of promotion, but to build that relationship so that when you ask them to join you at the youth meeting or whatever, it makes more sense because you've built that relationship. But when it's solely through social media, there is not that connection. There is not that personal relationship. So I can flip through so many promotions and have absolutely no guilt on denying going to that event, or I have no association with feeling like I'm needing to be there.
0: And, and I think that's just our natural tendency these days is to sit behind our phones and laptops, and we use that as our conduit to get out the information, but it's not the relationship. And I tell my kids, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that one of my requirements for my kids to get a smartphone is you need to be able to carry a conversation with an adult, not just have one, but carry one. And what I've tried to help my own daughters understand and realize is that in our in the 21st century Strong social skills lead to strong social currency, and if you have really good social skills, you're going to be probably head and shoulders above most people your age, because they typically don't. I look at what happens in our youth ministry week to week. Students walk through the door, and those that have smartphones, the minute that their friend's not there or or they don't have a connection in the room... Their face is buried in their phone and they're waiting and hanging out like that.
1: I think that's a big deal, too. I think the isolation factor, even amongst staff, the smartphone has created isolation in circumstances where you would typically just build relationship in small talk. So, for instance, staff, when you come together as a staff in a conference room and you're sitting around a table, but everybody's on their phones, You no longer are building that relationship with your coworkers with small talk and things that you'd normally find out about what is going on in their lives. Instead, you're isolated in your own phone. So then you're not building those relationships. And so that creates isolation even amongst people that you are most close to.
0: It's a paradox when you think about it that we have more connection and more isolation. And that really is primarily... I believe, happen in youth ministry as a result of the smartphone and students having smartphones. I'm not against students having them. I'm just saying it has created a new type of isolation that we hadn't experienced in 2009, nine years ago. All right, number two. It's what I call the one out of four rule. Uh, Someone told me recently that Barna and other researchers have shifted their measurements of what's known as, quote-unquote, regular church attendance from... Considering in the past, regular church attendance was measured by being there two out of four Sundays or weekends or services a month. Now they've backed that off to regular attendance is measured by one Sunday a month. And I was talking with a pastor friend of mine who was saying that he knows a colleague as a senior pastor that they basically create one Template program for their weekend services a month, and they use that four weeks in a row because most of their church attenders are only there once a month. So they don't have to recreate it every week. And what I've noticed is that the student attendance and consistency of like regular weekly programming, including church services and, and youth ministry programming, has drastically altered in nine years. It's much, much less than it used to be.
1: And it's interesting to me that Barna would still use the same term as consistency, regularity of church attendance, but the numbers have changed. You can no longer use that consistency, even though they have. One and two out of one and four are two different numbers, and yet when you say X percentage of people are a regular church attender, well, when you break that down, I wouldn't say that's a regular number.
0: My eyes really open this year, because in this last year being in youth ministry, because and and I want to say this, if you're a youth director, a youth pastor, and you're listening to this, I want you to think about this for a minute. It's something I didn't, I wouldn't have seen in those shoes, and I didn't until I was a small group leader, because here's what's happened. Almost every youth director, youth pastor I know i have had this conversation, and they would say, yeah, our core kids, like our attendance is much, much less consistent, even in the last two or three years than it was like two, three, four years ago. But here's, here's an observation that I wouldn't have caught unless I was a small group leader, Let's say you've got 50 students that are coming to your youth ministry for your weekly program, and you look at the numbers, and one week you might have 50, and one week you might have 45, and one week you might have 55. You know, they all kind of average around that 50 number. And you may go, well, you know, our attendance is pretty consistent. However, as a small group leader, here's what I can tell you. Looking at the numbers in our youth ministry, at our church, I notice that as a small group leader none of my guys are very consistent. Very few of them are. So you can look at an overall number of a big group and get a completely different understanding if you're a small group leader and saying, you know what, we may have generally the same number in our entire big group, but in my small group, you know, my guys are coming maybe, maybe twice a month. And that's a completely different perspective that I wonder if a lot of youth pastors are catching because they're what I did when I was a youth pastor. I just paid attention to the bottom line, big number. What's mm-hmm. the big number? How many are coming and being able to track it that way? But as a small group leader, I notice it from a completely different perspective.
1: Well, I would even argue that based on the number that you're looking at, say for instance, your supervisor is looking at the numbers and you're hoping to see growth, but you're going, well, some students only come every other week because they're sometimes at mom's house, sometimes at dad's house. And so you try to use that as an argument of like, we have more students involved in the ministry than what this bottom line number indicates. They're just not coming every week to show the larger number. But then now it's like one in four and it, And one in four, it's like can't even get momentum from that number because they're not coming regularly enough to follow along what you're teaching, how you're pouring into them. It's like you're having to start a new conversation every single time as like a brand new student to the ministry.
0: Now, youth ministry, in many cases, are symptoms. We we see symptoms of something deeper uh, outside of it. And I think this is the case where it's definitely true that People are less committed to going to church every week. That's just the way it is. I think we all feel that in society. There's a lot of factors that play in that. You mentioned one, Jason, the breakdown of marriages and families where students are, you know, kind of bounced around on weekends. I think also sports, the prevalence of leagues and travel leagues and teams, has really impacted things as well. But I think all of it's really combined where where church in general has just become less and less of a priority and importance to typical families
1: but when barna changes the number from one and two to one and four it still makes the church leaders feel good yeah that makes sense it's it's like well 75 percent are still attending church regularly but it's less in my mind
0: right so that's definitely something that's happened all right number three the bible has drifted and what i mean by that is the bible has really gone from more of being a centerpiece to what I've seen the last nine years is it's less and less prevalent in week-in, week-out youth ministry practices and programming. And so when I think about that, I think, okay, how much—and and a friend of mine, Derek Idol, he's the director of youth ministry at Liberty University, and incredible, one of the best youth pastors I've ever known, and I've heard him talk about this, where he says, if you were to measure— time-wise, how much Bible is involved in a weekly program in your youth ministry, how much would it be? And what I would say is, again, so generalization is an observation on my end, but I would say not just talking about the Bible, but specifically even reading it, I would say it's probably a minute or less. Uh, We have some friends that lead something called the Institute for Bible Reading, and I heard them say this. They said, we have a very low trust in the Bible. And I said, What do you mean by that? And they said, Well, like for example, and man I'd been guilty of this, to stand up and read longer sections of the Bible in public, we go, We're gonna lose people. We're you know we can't just sit up there and read that for what it is and let it speak more for itself. We have to just give it to them in short little bites, and then we have to add our own little commentary to it. And I get it. You can't get up and you can't read through you know, a genealogy in First Chronicles or something like that. Well, but, if
1: you choose that passage, then yeah, come on.
0: Yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> but like, what's our level of trust in the Bible itself when it comes to our programming? And I think overall, I don't think we would say this out loud, but I think... In youth ministry, I definitely think it's a little bit of indictment against us to say we have probably have a lower trust of the Bible than we did nine years ago.
1: In my mind, 30 seconds came to mind, where it's long enough to read the passage, but like you said, you mentioned we'd read it and then add our own commentary, and that's what it is. It's like we read it long enough to just present it to them, but not even discuss what those words really are. This is just kind of adding on to all my own thoughts.
0: Uh, It was interesting this summer, I interviewed a lot of students, and I asked them, how do you prefer to read the Bible? About 90% of them said, I prefer the print version. One of the reasons was they said it's less distracting. I can focus more if I'm on my phone. I'm getting constant notifications. When I think of practical outlets and outputs to this observation, I want to encourage you that are listening that maybe have decision-making over things like this is— to think about having paper Bibles available when you guys get together and not putting the Bible on the screen. I remember years ago as a teaching pastor, when I was high school and teaching pastor at the church where I'm still involved in, we had that debate as teaching pastors, do we put the text on the screen? And back then we said no. The reason why is we want people looking it up for themselves. I think there's something about that. Now, there's pros and cons to everything. I get it. But We made that youth ministry decision a year ago when I jumped back into our church and I said, we're not going to put it on the screen ever. We're going to have Bibles available for everyone. We're going to give them time to look it up and to read it for themselves.
1: I went to a church once as a, just a visitor, and I remember distinctly when the pastor said, turn to this passage. It was an audible, paper-turning sound. It was amazing. I've never heard it before or after in a church, but that church particular it was a culture of Bibles in people's possessions, and the pastor was like, we're going to turn and look at this passage. When you open up the Bible and you know, there's hundreds of people doing the same thing, it creates a sound, and it, it was memorable for me. The Great
0: Recession Effect. So go back to 2009. That's what we're doing today. 2009, the end of 2008 and 2009 was that period what we know now as the Great Recession. What was really... Scary at the time was starting a nonprofit organization (laughs) in that time. Now we live in Michigan and back then they would rank and and this was very prevalent in news cycles, they would hear it like they would rank the states and because the economy was just crashing and people were going crazy and you know, stock was way down and and so the states were always ranked and Michigan was always 49th or 50th. So in the midst of being like the worst or second-to-worst state for economies, God, in the midst of that, in his amazing timing and Providence, started a national youth ministry organization at the beginning of the Great Recession. Here's what I know, so Jason, that the Great Recession effect had had a deep impact on churches at that time because churches began to slash their budgets. Everyone everywhere was slashing their budgets. I remember seeing commercials on TV where restaurants were saying, Listen, we know the economy's bad, and so we're offering like two for one deals. I remember seeing that for like national restaurant chains, and not like McDonald's, but like sit-down restaurants were saying, Hey, we get it, the economy is bad. It was I've never seen anything before or since like that. So what churches did is they lost a lot of giving, their budgets went way down, and so one of the first things that got slashed was the youth ministry budget. So what they got in general and staffing as well. So so staffing maybe that was lost around that time wasn't rehired. And I know many youth ministry staffs that went from maybe multiple, where it was a larger church and they had multiple staff. I'm thinking of one in particular, like four or five staff, down to like one or even like a part-time. And churches that maybe had a full-time youth pastor all of a sudden went to part-time or completely volunteer-led.
1: That was my experience. In 2009, well, I was hired at in 2007, I had about seven or eight staff members that I was managing, all in the youth department. By 2009, it was like I am legend. It was just me
0: in a lab, looking <laughs> all at by rats. myself.
1: I uh, I remember just the conversations of going, "Are we rehiring? Are we gonna hire for this position?" And there was no no plan to, and so it shifted how I operated because I had to rely on volunteers so much more. But I remember distinctly like. It wasn't because the staff members were getting fired because of budget cuts. It was just they were, they were moving on to different roles full-time at other places, but they just weren't getting rehired. And so by 2009, 2010, it was, it was just me, basically.
0: I, I think that I've thought about this. I think when I project to the next 9 or 10 years, so what are we, what are we going to be talking about in 2028 and in 2029? Uh, 2030, like, I think these financial decisions in local churches are going to have a dramatic effect on local churches 10 years from now. And I'll tell you why I think that is because in a time now where more students are maybe, what we might say, disillusioned or not interested in in faith and attending what might be called, you know, traditional religious practices and going to things like weekly youth group or church, if we're not pouring resources into that now, what's that going to do when that generation that's now 15, 16, when they're 25, 26, and 30, and they have really no experience? What I've seen with a lot of adults is, traditionally, this goes back decades in our culture, is majority of people raised, going, or connected to some kind of church, and they may drift in their 20s. But when they start getting married and having kids, they generally come to drift back because they're familiar with it. My question is going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now, if they're not familiar with it now, are they going to even connect to a church because it's not something they were familiar with in the first place? So I think that that's definitely still having a big effect. And if you're listening to this and you're in your local church leadership, think about that. What priority financially are you putting on next generation ministries in your church? Children, and we're talking specifically about students. Let me just add one more thing. I'm just thinking of why... I tell people this a lot. I think that the most pivotal next-generation ministry and age group in every local church is middle school. And that's because that's the pivot point. Children's ministry, you're kind of locked in, like you're forced to really go. Um, Middle school is when that starts to change. And I think if you don't capture middle school students in your local church, I think you're going to be really hard-pressed to capture them in high school and then into adulthood. So I'll just add that as a little bonus there number 5 brain drain what i've noticed in the last 9 years and this was happening before but it's it's been more specific now is a lot of great leaders are being pulled out of youth ministry leadership and i'm talking about particularly about vocational ministry people here but i'll i'll tell you that when i started in youth ministry full time that a lot of my colleagues and people my age when we started a lot of people had a good 10 year run i would say that's an average but they would be in and they would be leading and engaged and involved in their youth ministry at their church for about 10 years. And then and then a lot of people that seemed to be like a cutoff point where they jump into if they stayed in vocational ministry, they jump into maybe an assistant, associate, or a lead role in a church somewhere. And what I've noticed now is um, even from the beginning that young leaders either aren't going into it or they're getting kind of picked off, so to speak right away from youth ministry where they're not getting into it.
1: Well, when a church sees potential, it's, it, it thinks of its, its kind overall. And sometimes that's the, to the detriment of the youth ministry. And as a church leader, uh, to think how the youth ministry is so important, I would almost say I'd want to put more resources in and keep those strong leaders into the youth ministry because of how vital it is even to the, the church. And we've talked about this in other episodes of, of how important youth ministry is in growing the church, not just the, the children's ministry, but the youth ministry. But the overall church tends to say, here is a up-and-coming leader. We're going to use him as a, a church plant, or we're going to use her as uh, some level of, of leadership in the overall experience of the church, not just in youth ministry.
0: That's definitely happening. I remember 15 years ago reading a few articles here and there, and it started to to become a little bit talked about where the coming crisis in the number of pastors, there was going to be this crisis of the shortage where there weren't enough pastors to go around. And I remember reading that and thinking, all right, I want to keep that on my radar and watch that. And I think that's another reason why we're seeing this brain drain is because when you look around good pastors are really really hard to find what's happened is this is a, a you know a, a traditional thing but like the traditional person going in and studying for pastoral or youth pastor ministry in uh, you know four year college right out of high school and they go into it they're they're getting siphoned off either by church planning or just by the overall general need of that so you know, I think a lot of really good, strong leaders that were in it full time vocationally just—it's just not that way anymore. So there's a change.
1: There's this persona that if you're a youth pastor, you get questioned. Well, when are you gonna get an adult job, a big boy job, kind of thing? Like you're asked, like, all right, when are you gonna grow up? And there is even amongst the church leaders, there is that that persona versus how making. The youth pastor, the youth ministry, legitimate place to grow your leadership.
0: I think the recession really set back youth ministry in that sense, too, because I feel like Jason, as you're saying that, I think nine, ten years ago, youth ministry was really coming into its own as a legitimate you know, career and profession. And that was becoming more prominent where I think in ministry circles, people were recognizing, Youth ministry is not just pizza and games. It, there really is a lot of intentionality to it. It's important. It's strategic. But yet when the recession happened, it feels like we went backwards because we were just getting to that point And then all of a sudden, it's like the rug was pulled out from under us. So I think that's a great observation. When we come back, we're going to jump into the last four of the nine.
2: I love being a part of the teaching team of NTS uh, because it's, it's one of the highlights of my year. Is you gather with five, six hundred students, and um, you know it's so much fun—the activities and different things like that. You know, the speaking part is cool, but um, it's awesome to watch these students come together, and students that are far from God, students that are close to God, uh, but just coming together in one place and watching them really start to, to navigate through their faith and navigate through the journey that God has them on. We really value biblical truths, uh, bringing, bringing the word to life and really making it connect and be relevant to the student that's sitting in the audience, to make them understand that the Bible is relevant today as it was 2000 years ago. And it's really the only thing that um, I believe You know, when it comes to sharing the word, that is going to only be the only thing that's really consistent, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that is a huge, huge value to NTS.
0: All right, we're going to jump back into the list. We've got four more to go. This one is about prayer. Prayer is exciting.
1: You have a question mark after that word. It's like you have to inflect it like a question. Prayer is exciting. Exciting.
0: I remember in 2009 when I felt called to, to do all this and pursue this National Youth Ministry thing and claim your campus. I was very insecure about starting a student prayer ministry because everyone that I knew in prayer circles had a couple of commonalities in my perspective back then. Uh, they were either really old or really weird. And many times they were both. <laughs> so in my local churches, the prayer people were always the old, weird, odd people. And as I looked across the landscape, now the International House of Prayer in Kansas City was was taking off and, and that's still, you know, a phenomenal, amazing thing that's happening. And that's really attracted a whole generation of of younger people and young adults. But especially in student ministry, I remember it was a real hurdle for me when I was considering doing this and really felt called by God to pursue claim your campus. It was a hurdle for me between me and the Lord because I thought, God, I this is gonna be hard enough as it is, but I don't want to be the weird, odd prayer guy, you know, out there. But what I've seen and I had a sense of it, and we were just talking off air about some of my predictions. I always I feel like I have a insight into where things go in culture sometimes. But um I had a sense within me that prayer was going to become more mainstream, so to speak, in in churches, in ministries, and particularly in student ministries. And I would say that's definitely the case, and we've got some data to even back that up.
1: We do. We did some research in the past year, and this is also involved in the Trend Report, so go to neverthesame.org slash podcast to get your free copy of the Trend Report. 87% of students that we surveyed say prayer is interesting and engaging versus 13% saying prayer is confusing and boring. So the trend that you're talking about of prayer becoming more exciting, uh, it <laughs> seems like students are, the majority, 87% are saying, yes, prayer to me is more interesting and engaging. I There is that excitement towards prayer versus, ah, it's boring. I don't care. I don't get it.
0: And I, I, as an adult, I still marvel at those numbers. It's, it's hard for me to believe, even working with students, that 87% are saying prayer is, is engaging and interesting to them. I think that's phenomenal. It's amazing to me. I, I, it's inspiring to think about what their thoughts are approaching prayer. And I think as adults, we need to really consider that. But nine years ago, we don't have the numbers. I'd love to be able to see what that would have been nine years ago. But my guess is, and my, my gut tells me, that it would have been much, much different if we would have asked that same question. So I think prayer has really moved and shifted towards um, becoming a lot more interesting, engaging, and, uh, and, and connected to youth ministry. All right, number seven, theology moved in the last nine years. And it's moved in a lot of different ways. And, uh, man, I'm probably the most um, apprehensive about talking about this one because uh, we might get a little controversial here. But I think in general, and I'm not making a political statement, but I think theology in general has moved to the left in youth ministry circles. And what I mean by that is become more progressive, I would say in general less traditional, maybe to some of the things that would have been more... um, more generally accepted or believed nine years ago. And in the last nine years, I mean, there's been some major cultural differences that have happened. One of the examples is the legalization of same-sex marriage. So when that happened, that was a major, major shift in culture. And I remember someone saying to me that, uh, that kids growing up now will never know a day when uh, marriage was legally between a man and a woman. and I'm going to say here on this one that um, this is a behind-the-closed-door thing. I would say more than not, the majority, over 50% of people in, in higher youth ministry circles uh, nationally that I know may not even say this publicly, but many of them would say when it comes to things like same-sex marriage, they would have what I would call a non-traditional view of those issues. And that's definitely been a change in the culture and the landscape of youth ministry on a bigger scale, but I think that's having an impact. There's many, many leaders I talk to and know that on issues like that and others that those views are changing and a lot of leaders aren't talking about them necessarily openly with their students, but that's definitely impacting the ministry that they're having with them.
1: In a lot of leaders' minds, the life and love of Jesus has uh, convinced them that it is more progressive in their minds. So some of the things that you're talking about but also things of more progressive left leaning versus conservative they see the life of Jesus's example and love for people is to accept behaviors and lifestyles and ways of of approaching other people as more progressive instead of this traditional conservative. And so they they see the persona of Jesus as as progressive as well.
0: That's definitely the case in many, many leaders that I know. And, you know, I, I always like to just put it out there for us and for me as an organization. We have a—on this particular issue—now, we're talking about many other issues when I say theology has moved, but, but on this particular issue, we have a very traditional, what I would say, a traditional biblical view of of sexuality itself and of marriage. And uh, I definitely think that this shift in theology will be having um, a lot of ripple effect going into the future. And uh, I think one of the other practices and ideas, and again, this is maybe even, to some people, more controversial, is is the prevalence of alcohol and drinking in society and in ministry. I, I would say, man... Nine years ago, the openness of alcohol amongst people leading ministry was a lot more, I'd say, again, behind closed doors. Maybe it was happening for sure, but it wasn't out in the open. And now, again, I and I'm just telling you, man, maybe I'm old and maybe I'm out of it, but our social media feeds, our students are looking at them. And so when I see leaders looking at that going, "How is there wisdom in having that, like having drinks in a picture where you know, as a small group leader, as a youth pastor, as a youth director, as a ministry leader, people are going to see. I just, I really, I I definitely think, and I've asked people just anecdotally, do you think drinking has become more prevalent in ministry leaders? And the overwhelming answer is yes, it is.
1: Definitely, I see that as well. And I believe we will have an episode just to discuss this topic alone um, because of how prevalent we see it and just the thoughts that we've had off off the record and just discussing the impact that it has on students, the effectiveness of the leader when you are engaged in that activity. And it's one of those, like, we're not trying to condemn or condone. It's just we want to talk about it because we observe it.
0: The last thing I would say on this idea of theology moving is that uh, it's also it's become the, the distinction between theology and politics has shrunk a lot. I've always been one to really just steer clear of anything political. I know we're using terms like progressive or conservative, and, I, and just for lack of um, other words and, and for the purpose of clarity, we're using those words here, but I, I really try to stay away from that because— um, you know that's just so divisive these days and and I get it like politics is affecting students more than it ever has I believe and part of that is because of leadership we are opening that door and so I think that's another way where theology has moved in terms of not maybe necessarily its beliefs but I think people have moved their their theological underpinnings they've picked them up and and brought them closer to their political um views and expressions and so those are blending more and more so i definitely think that's a move there number eight thinking took over number eight uh is about students and intellectualism and uh we're really excited we're going to be having an interview with with jay warner wallace coming up here and uh he is uh, just a, a person that we have such great respect and admiration for in terms of the whole um area of apologetics and thinking, and he talks a lot about why students are leaving the church, and one of the reasons they're leaving is they're leaving because they're seeing intellectual discrepancies that they can't reconcile in their minds, and so they're walking away from the church. And I think the shift I've seen in the last nine years is that students and their cerebral approach to faith is drastically different than it was nine years ago.
1: There's a lot more things to even gain knowledge about you have access to so many more things because of youtube and social media and just google itself to be able to search anything and be able to have to have access to somebody's opinion and not just opinion for you know lack of truth but there's opinions and then there's truth and then there's perspectives and there is being able to be exposed to things that you don't normally see on a day-to-day basis in other parts of the world. And so when you talk about the skepticism, religion and God and the Bible all start to fall into that funnel because they look at the world with a skeptical eye. There's going to be,
0: and there already has been, but I think there'll be continually be a a trickle-down effect from this term fake news. I think that trickle-down effect is and will be affecting students because... Students are skeptical. You know, when they hear something, they wonder if it's true. They're questioning it. In my work with students and having my own kids and knowing the conversations they're having with their classmates at school in different areas, they're thinking about alternative ways of looking at things. And I think that's going to be a real trend. And I think we as leaders, that's why. And let me just put in a plug for you to, to jump into that interview with, with Jay Warren Wallace that's coming up in a couple episodes. Because I think we need to be on the forefront of this trend as youth ministry leaders to understand that we need to prepare and answer questions either as they're happening or before they happen, when, not if when students are asking these questions that are skeptical about faith and Christianity.
1: The biggest reason why we are even having a number of episodes in regards to students walking away from their faith and about atheism and about being able to defend your faith and apologetics and all this, because the, the number is growing for all the work that we're putting into as youth ministers in middle school and high school students, when they graduate and walk away from your youth ministry, they're walking away from their faith as well. And are we as youth ministers preparing them so that when they step into a place of opposition, that they are able to defend their faith with confidence and with facts and with reason and so we want to prepare you guys, our audience, with these aspects of apologetics. That's why we set up a, an interview with Jay Warner Wallace, because he, I think, is a, a huge expert in this field. Nine years
0: ago, youth ministry in general was much more, what I would say, emotionally driven. What I mean by that is is meetings, gatherings, even decision-making moments in youth ministry were driven by emotion. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that was the case, and in many cases still is. Now listen, I've talked with ministry leaders, and I've come around so many times on this particular issue. We were, I was talking with a national youth ministry leader um, that I deeply respect a, a few days ago, and, and we're talking about the pendulum of emotion and how it's been manipulated many times, and then it's also been in the other extreme where it's been ignored. And I think that uh, emotion is a part of who we are. its its It's wrapped into the DNA of our souls and and how we you know think and live. And so I think we can't ignore emotion, but here's the thing. I think here's where the shift has happened, is students went from maybe where emotion more prevalently worked on its own nine years ago. I think now it's not like it was, where emotion still needs to be there. I don't think we need to ignore it. I definitely don't think we need to manipulate it, but I also think our approach to students, and especially when we're talking about engaging them in their faith and even asking them to, to make decisions for Christ, I think an intellectual, more cerebral approach has to become more central to what we do and how we do that. We've even altered a lot of our programming for NTS Camp with that, and understanding that that in a skeptical mind, we've got to present them with good information. And facts. And facts. Number nine, health and wellness. Loneliness and anxiety today are the norm. Students are much more anxious. They're much more lonely. They're much more isolated. We talked about that in the very first one with technology. But health and wellness nine years ago wasn't nearly as prevalent in thought and conversation and even teaching in youth ministry as it is now. And a lot of it is is really the prominence of technology and the smartphone is that students are going home and they're sitting in their room and they have no reason to come out because they're connected to the world and a lot of their friends on their phones. So even not only they're being isolated in society, but even within their own homes, students are becoming more and more isolated. And what's happening as a result of that is you've got students that are much more inactive. They're just more inactive, physically inactive. And so because of that, that has an effect on everything for their for their physiological perspective. And as they're growing, as their bodies are changing, particularly middle school, I think the combination of inactivity and the types of foods that are available and, and that we're consuming, I think that's all combined in this health and wellness area where I would consider us really at, what I would say is probably is a crisis mode when it comes to the health and wellness of students, physically and, and emotionally.
1: And I don't think we fully understand the impact that the smartphone has just on our ability to use our hands, besides yeah. just interacting with a, a touchscreen. Even with sports, the hand-eye coordination or being able to use your hands or feet with precision for a sport. I read an article in, in regards to a surgeon, a professor who was teaching surgeon students, And realizing that they don't have the ability to make good cuts, the dexterity that you need with your hands to make good cuts and stitches and all that stuff. That ability is being lost because of our focus is solely on swiping and scrolling and using our thumbs primarily. And that's it versus actively just using our hands to build things, to create things, to interact with things and and to enjoy things that we can interact with in this world.
0: I was recently talking to pastors talking to me you know off the record about people in their congregation and and one of the families they live in a very small community so their kids attend a small private Christian school and um, their middle schooler is on anxiety meds and I thought about that and I thought here's a student from a very probably not they're out of the middle class they they'd be in the upper upper, middle class at the lowest and, um, and experience, you know, and having a very, uh, financial affluent lifestyle, going to a small Christian school, living in a small, very safe, isolated, protected community, and yet taking anxiety meds. And, and I'm asking myself, what is it that's contributing to this student's life that they're so what, what's causing the anxiety? Because I know for a fact that it's not because they can't find a place, to, a warm place to sleep at night. It's not because they don't have three meals a day. It's not because they don't have protection. Or two parents at home that, that love them. And I could go on and on and tell you so many families that I know and hear about where this is the case. And I'm saying, what? Is the deal? What is going on? And I'll tell you, Jason. We're gonna, this is another upcoming episode where we've got a guest, and I'm very excited for her to share with us. But this may sound super simplistic, but I think the lack of physical activity, the lack of drinking water, and and eating good foods, it's having a devastating effect on students. We're often looking to maybe psychological reasons or even spiritual reasons, like well, you know, what's going on in their life spiritually. But and there, those are legitimate things. I'm not discounting those, but I'm saying i don't hear people talking about health and wellness in that equation very much and i think that's definitely changed and i think it will continue to be so until we really address it this has been an exciting thing for me personally to share and to talk about discuss with jason with you today and let me just end by saying this that that for me it was a great opportunity to go back and reflect and look nine years ago every year as november 1st rolls around it's an important day for me it's a day i kind of think about and reflect Let me invite you right now. We encourage you on this podcast. It's called The Thought Factory. It's about thinking. It's about presenting ideas. It's about discussing and reflecting. Pick a year. Pick an era. Go back and think about what's changed between now and then, particularly when it comes to youth ministry, and I think you might be surprised.
1: The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.
0: So we've added these bonus segments to this season of Thought Factory. And Jason, you and I have been focusing on talking about something very exciting that's coming up called Claim Your Campus 2020. want we'll to talk a little bit about something that's coming up. Actually, the day this episode is released, the very next day, we're going to be starting something new for Claim Your Campus 2020. Do you know what it is, I Jason? actually
1: don't know what. I should probably know because I'm on staff here. But mm-hmm. I, you're looking at me like I should know. and probably I probably should. I, don't. So I could keep rambling and just try to guess. You could, or I could tell you. Yeah, yeah, that would be better. So Tuesday nights,
0: 9 o'clock Eastern, beginning uh, this week, every Tuesday night, we're going to start a live coaching aspect for uh, Claim Your Campus, what we're calling adult advocates. We've talked about this in the bonus segment before. We are looking for 10,000 adult advocates that can become an advocate for school. And what that means to become an advocate is you just care about a school, you start praying for it, and you start uh, asking God to really bring change at that school. Schools are so important. They're a strategic place in society. So, Jason, we're going to be talking every Tuesday night right off of our Claim Your Campus Adult Advocate Facebook group every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock. It's not going to be super long, but we're going to have guests. We're going to have people that will be— some will be announced, some will be surprises. But we're excited to get this going.
1: I want to mention that I did actually know that. I knew that what was going to happen every Tuesday at 9 o'clock. I just wasn't sure what you were talking about. You're just trying to be a good employee. I just wasn't sure exactly, exactly what you were talking about, but apparently you were talking about the Facebook coaching. (laughs) And so I knew that, but if you were going to present something else, I might have not known that.
0: So if you haven't already, jump jump on Facebook to the Claim Your Campus Adult Advocate group. Just search Claim Your Campus Adult Advocate. You'll find that group. Join it. There'll be continual updates there. And again, every Tuesday night from here until 2020, so our big event that's coming up, we're going to be uh, coaching adults and what they can do to stay engaged with students and help them uh, in these crazy places called schools these days.
1: And as always, you can check out more information at claimercampus 2020com You can find out what we're talking about more in depth.